Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I do. I want to talk about time today and and how uh, how time flows, and just just uh, how sometimes it seems to go very fast and sometimes it seems to go very very slowly, and see if we can just sort of wrap our minds around that, um, you know, on a, on a deeper level. And I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I, I haven't come up with a lot of axioms uh, on life, but, but this is one that, 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 that came to me uh, uh, a while back, which is um, time flies when it isn't you. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. So sometimes you go, you see someone like, let's say they, they just, I don't know, they, they just graduated college or something like that. And you say, I can't believe it. It seems like just yesterday you were, you were in high school. And it's like, okay, for you, it seems like it was yesterday. For me, do you know what I've been through between now and then? So that's this idea. Time flies when it isn't you. You know, it seems to be, go very, very quickly for other people. Um, we play a game in our house sometimes uh, on, on Friday night when, when Shabbos comes, which is how long ago did last Shabbos seem? And so many times, like, you know, people will say, like, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or like, like yesterday. I can't even believe it. So you see, there's something very interesting about the flow of time. Sometimes it goes very quickly. Sometimes it goes very, very slowly. So what, why is that? What, what is going on? Are there patterns in time? Is there a structure in time? Um, so, so I want to explore these questions. Um, and I, I saw a, uh, one, one, the thing that sort of inspired me um, to sort of zero in on this was uh, the way time is presented in Megillus Esther. That's, of course, the, the chronicle of the, of, the, of, of the Purim story. And what, what I find so intriguing about that is that when you begin to read it, you know, every, all the, the, the Ahasuerus, the great king, throws this massive feast that goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and everything like this. And then all of a sudden, uh, a few pages afterwards, there's a decree from Haman, you know, against the Jews. And it's, you know, it's very devastating. And of course, we were actually able to to pray and, and, and to get out of it and everything like that. But if you, if you read the story of Purim, it seems to, uh, the decree against the Jews seems to happen right after the, um, the feast of Ahasuerus. And in fact, it's nine years later. And so, and then the whole big chunk of this story, um, which is when Esther invites Ahasuerus and Haman to a private wine feast and, and everything like that, and, and Haman's plan to, to kill Mordechai and all of these things, that's probably half the pages of, of, of Megillus Esther, and that happens over the course of a few days. So here you have like this leap of nine years, and then all of a sudden it slows down. And so the presentation of time the way we experience time, I think, is a very fascinating thing. I, I remember one summer I was in college and I, I was home for vacation and, and I was having this like very jam-packed summer. And I remember thinking to myself, um, 
wow, I have done so much. This has been such a full summer. If it ended today, I would feel as though I had the most satisfying, fullest summer. And then I remember, and then I thought, wow, I've got like another month to my vacation. And then at the end of that month, I said, where did it go? (laughs) Right? It's strange. This is strange, but I'm sure all of you can identify with this, right? So, so, so I want to see if we can identify um, uh, a pattern in time in the Torah that can give us sort of like a kind of like a superstructure to 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 evaluate um, this sort of very elusive idea. And in fact, it exists. And, and, and I'll tell you the most core presentation of it, which is six days of the week we work, and on the seventh day we rest. And that's, that is sort of the core structure to everything. You work, you work, you work, you work, and then comes the day of rest, the seventh day. Now, I'll tell you... Uh, I was listening to a, a podcast on, on Radiolab, and they had a mathematician speaking. And it, it, was, it was interesting. He's, he's someone who's written about, you know, Euclid and the history of math, and he, he's like an academic guy, you know, very, very intellectual, and he, he gives speeches around, uh, I guess, around the world. And he said that when it came time for question and answers at the end, he would always get the same question, and it used to drive him crazy which is someone would raise their hand, he would go, yes, and the person would say, what's your favorite number? And he would be like, ah, you know, like, I've just told you, like, that the history of mathematics, about incredibly intellectual things, you're asking me about my favorite number, this is driving me crazy. And he said that he would get the same question all the time, right? And, um, and so he said one time, almost in anger, like, sure enough, someone said to him, what's your favorite number? And he said, what's your favorite number? And the person said, 14. <laughs> and they had no problem volunteering their, their favorite number. And then person after person in the audience told him what their favorite numbers were. And then he said, oh, this is really interesting. And then he started asking, why is that your favorite number? Right? And everyone had a very personal emotional reason for why their favorite number was their favorite number. Like, oh, that's the day I was born, or that's the day, you know, whatever. They, they just, they just dozens and dozens of, 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 of reasons, but all coming from this very emotional place. And so, so he became more and more intrigued by this. And, and I find that intriguing as well, just because when we talk in terms of numbers, we're usually like, okay, just the facts. You know, numbers sort of like suggest the opposite of emotions, right? And the fact that you can have this combination of that everyone's got a favorite number and they've got favorite numbers for emotional reasons, that's not, that's unexpected. So now, you ready for this? He then said, across cultures all over the world, there is one number which far and away is everybody's favorite number. And that's the number seven. Isn't that that interesting? So what did we just say? We said that in analyzing the flow of time, 
that that's the core that's the core number. It's six days of the week you work, and on the seventh day you rest. And interestingly, one of the um, one of the great books of Judaism is called the Kuzari. Kuzari is a fascinating book. So some people think it's legend. Other people say it's a thousand percent true. Whatever it is, there was the um, there was a there was a great king that lived in somewhere in the Asia area, probably in what would be somewhere in the greater area of Russia now. You know, that, that general area of the world, okay? And he decided that he was going to choose a religion. And he invited a representative of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism to all present their religion to him and then he would then choose what would be the religion of his of his kingdom, and the people would would follow this this. And so, um, so there's this book called the Kuzari, which 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 attempts to reconstruct what that debate among the three religions was, and of course, uh, the, the 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 king chooses Judaism. And here you have a presentation of Judaism and Judaism in relation to the other religions. So this, this book is still studied to this day. It's, um, it's a very, very great book. So one of the points um, that the Jewish emissary makes in the Kuzari is that you can see the authenticity of the story of Adam and Eve. And, and he offers a, a, a proof. And I find this very intriguing because it's coming from a direction that's not um, based on uh, archaeology or, or, or things like that. It's coming from a very surprising angle, this, this proof that he offers, okay? Which is that the entire world, all cultures of the world, have a seven-day week. And which means that they must have had a single common parentage that everyone came from to have this notion of a seven-day week. Because if you think about it, why, first of all, why do you even need a week? And if you want to say, okay, well, we're great astronomers because early, early civilization, they, they actually were great astronomers, you know? So we're great astronomers. We're, we're watching the rotation of things and we see that it's 365 days for, the, um, for a, uh, a full rotation of the earth around the sun or whatever it is, well, you could divide that up any which way. You don't have to divide that up into 52 uh, seven-week periods, right? So even if you want to say there's an objective norm that would cause us to reach a seven-day period, that wouldn't be it because you could have, you could, you, you could do it any which way. Right? You could have uh, whatever, half of 52, 14-day weeks, or how, however you want to do it. Anyway, so interesting. So we have this, this number seven. But, but it, goes, it goes, it's more far-reaching than that, okay? When the, the Torah is basically the fabric of the entire universe, 
This is a point we've made many, many times here, and, and I, I believe that this is one of these fundamental entry points to understanding what Judaism is actually talking about. I don't think, un, unless you realize when we talk about the Torah, we're not, we're not talking about a book. It's not a book. It's, it's the fabric of reality, right? That God actually, it, the Gomorrah says that the Torah existed before the world existed. So what was the Torah before the world existed? It was God's dreams for the world, God's vision for the world. And God then sculpted his vision into the world itself, his vision for the world into the world. Like, can you imagine like, like a piece of origami? It starts off as like a, like a, you know, a flat piece of paper. And then you can shape that piece of paper into the most intricate thing right? Just by folding it and all the rest. God had his vision for the world. That's like the initial piece of paper before it becomes something in origami. And then that thing was the Torah. Okay? And then God shaped it into the world itself. Okay? So it wasn't, it wasn't a parchment at that time. It was a dream. Right? But then God makes that dream into a reality. If you want to put that into the language of physics, like Einstein talks about, E equals MC squared, energy becomes mass. That dream, that light, becomes the physical universe. God sculpts it and he makes it into that. Okay? So we have embedded in the world itself these rhythms in time. So, so again, to get very macro with you right now, we've got the notion of the messianic era that the world is evolving toward. Okay, that's an era of perfection that God had in mind at the very beginning of creation. Before he even created the world, he had this envision. Just think of an artist who is folding that origami piece of paper, right? The artist knows in advance what he wants that end result to look like. God knew before, right at the very outset, what he wanted the world to look like, which was a perfect world. So we have 6,000 years of work, right? And then the 7,000th year is that era of perfection that the world is evolving toward. Okay, but here again, you see that that's the same rhythm as the six days of the week and the seventh day of the week is Shabbos. You have 6,000 years, and then the 7,000th year is that era of perfection that the world is heading toward. Do, do you see their rhythms? Their rhythms embedded into creation because the world itself is made out of Torah. And now on that point, you'll see another fascinating use of sevens, which is after we leave Egypt, we go through this period of counting to receiving the Torah. And what is this period of counting? We do seven weeks. Okay, there's seven days to a week, and then we do seven weeks. That Again, seven times seven. This amazing thing to get to, to arrive at the ultimate plan. Right? Okay. So... So I want to go deeper, and I want to show you how, 
how really embedded that is and, and, and in terms of just the way things are. And then I want to make it more personal in terms of our own work and our own struggles, okay? So, so you see something that I think is, is really super cool. And you see it in terms of music. Um, there's, a, there's a music to creation, okay? And I'll tell you something. This is in the, the Tekune Zohar, what I'm about to tell you. One of my favorite teachings of all time, okay? I saw it in a book from Rabbi Trugman. So, so you know, we're always talking about the first word of the Torah here because everything is... The Zohar says that everything is contained in the word breishis, okay? And then even the word breishis is contained within the first letter of breishis. So everything in the Torah is worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds, right? And we're already seeing it with, with, with sevens. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing it, okay? Okay. So the word breishin, you ready for this? The word breishin. If you rearrange the letters of, of breishit using every letter, it spells the word shiras olive base, the song of the olive base. That's the Hebrew alphabet. And of course, our mystical tradition is God created the words, the world, out of the Hebrew letters. So the very first word of the Torah is the song of the alphabet. <laughs> So here you see how the concept of music and song is embedded in terms of the fabric of creation itself. Okay? Now, with that in mind, listen to this. The musical scale is based on seven notes. And the seventh note resolves the harmony. So you'll forgive my voice. I don't have a big singing voice, but, but you'll see. We have, I'll sing it in a second, but you have Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti. That's seven. That's the musical scale. Or Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti. You see how when the seventh note comes, it resolves the harmony. There's tension. That's the first six. And then the seventh comes, like Shabbos, the seventh comes, and it resolves the tension. Okay? And this is our lives. It's filled with tension. It's filled with struggle. And then comes harmony and closure. Okay? So, so I heard from Reb Shlomo, a teaching that really changed my life. Um, from the Ishbitzer Rebbe. He says, what's the difference between Simcha and Oneg? So I'll translate. Simcha and Oneg are two Hebrew words that basically are synonymous. So Simcha, Reb Shlomo uh, translates as joy, and Oneg, he translates as bliss. So what's the difference between joy and bliss? Okay? Now listen, very, very deep. Simcha is when God gives you something that you didn't have before. 
Oneg, bliss, is when God shows you what it is that you've had all along. Oneg is associated with Shabbos, with the seventh day, right? Because people even have parties, they call it Oneg Shabbos. Oh, come, we're going to have an Oneg, we're going to have Oneg Shabbos, right? So, so Oneg is something very particular to Shabbos. In other words, six days of the week you work, and on the seventh day, God gives you the eyes to see what it is that you've done. This is the special blessing of Shabbos. And this ties in with this whole idea of closure and, 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 and this harmonic sort of resolution. Because all of a sudden, you're not just reacting and in it and in it, you're outside of it and you're observing and you're appreciating. Okay. So we see the Torah. So we said, we said that the, the whole world is made out of Torah. Right now, it's isn't it striking? Isn't it striking that the, in the Torah itself, the Torah itself calls the Torah a song? In other words, this whole like imagine this like remember we were just picturing like a, this kind of square piece of origami paper, right? Now imagine on that piece of origami paper, there's this the most heavenly composition written out in musical notes <laughs> and the entire world is being shaped out of this music, right? Like, it says in Perke Avos that God spoke the world into creation, but Reb Shlomo says God sang the world into creation. And you see we have this amazing support for that opinion that God sang the world into, vac- into creation from the fact that the word breshis means Shiras Olive Bays. The song, the word in the beginning, the first word of the Torah means the song of the Olive Bays. So in, t- in other words, weaved through all of creation are these rhythms and this song and this structure where there's struggle and then harmony, closure, tea, harmony. Um, Richard Wagner um, no, no friend of the Jewish people, you know, a, a uh, you know one of the uh, great musical composers um, uh, of opera, uh, and in Germany, uh, was um, was was known to make these 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 operas that were like very long. They were like four or five hours long, and one of the techniques that he would use. And in his day, he was like a, you know, he was like a superstar. He was like really like one of the cultural kings, you know, in the world. He would deliberately, just as part of his technique, not resolve a melody for four hours. And then when the story would would culminate at the end and the whole story would, would work itself out, he would finally resolve this this harmony, and people would be weeping, <laughs> weeping, like out of relief. So, so one of the teachings that we have is that there will be ten songs that will be sung. Ten songs. And it says that 
So far in, in history, nine of the songs have been sung. And we're waiting for this tenth song. Isn't that interesting? Very important to sing. In fact, I'll tell you something. The Gomorrah says there have been certain generations <clears throat> where the leader of the generation has been worthy to be the Messiah, but the people were not worthy. And there have been other generations where the people were worthy, but that the leader was not worthy. And they give an example of that. King um, Chizkiyahu, there was a very, very great miracle. You know, you, you're familiar, I'm sure, with the idea of the ten lost tribes of Israel. Right? So, wh- wh- how did that happen? How did that happen? And you know, all sorts of people claim to be the, a lost tribe of Israel. You know, the... Um, all over, the Rastafarians, you know, just a lot of people claim it. Um, so, so basically there was a, there was kind of a, a split among the Jewish people, unfortunately, a bit of a civil war. And, um, and uh, or actually it wasn't so much a war, but basically they kind of just split up. And they have what's called the Southern Kingdom, that's where Jerusalem was, that's what survived. And then they had the northern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, and they were, you know, bordering each other. In the northern kingdom, you had the ten tribes. Now, one of the great kings of the um, ancient world was named Sennacherib. Sennacherib swooped down. And by the way, if you, if you want to know whether Sennacherib is, uh, is still relevant to today, Saddam Hussein announced to his people that he was the reincarnation of Sennacherib. So, I mean, this is, all these stories are like very large in the world and in, you know, leaders' minds, okay? And Sennacherib swooped down and he conquered the northern kingdom and he sent those ten tribes of Israel into exile. And in fact, one of the um, techniques of making empires, right, is that you don't want people too emotionally tied to their own homeland. Because if you do, then at a certain point they go, what do we need these foreign rulers for? This is our land. We've been here forever. Let's rise up and kick these people out. So this is a, something that uh, empire builders figured out a long time ago. So Sennacherib said, you know, I'm going to do away with that problem. I'm going to scatter these people to all different lands around the world. And this way, they're not going to be tied to their homeland anymore and they won't try to build a rebellion. Okay? So it's, it's interesting. So, so that's the ten lost tribes. Now, by the way, you should know, there are representatives of all the ro- tribes that stayed within the Jewish people. We didn't lose those bloodlines, but we just, no one really knows what their tribe is anymore. Okay? That's why, by the way, um, there's something called Nusach Ari. Nusach Ari is um, a, you know, a, a, form, a, a presentation of the you know, classic Jewish prayers, but they're formulated in a particular way because in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, there were 12 gates, one for each of the tribes, and then there was a 13th gate for you to enter through if you didn't know which tribe you were from. So the great Ari created a Nusach, a special presentation of the prayer book, which was meant for people who didn't know what tribe they were from anymore, 
which is basically everyone today, unless you're a Kohen or a Levi. Okay? So, so that's Nusach Ari. But anyway, we're still getting back to the idea of singing. We haven't, we haven't forgotten the topic yet. <laughs> and we haven't forgotten what the Gomorrah says, that there's such a thing as a generation was worthy, but the leader wasn't worthy. So what's the story with Chizkiyahu? Chizkiyahu was one of our greatest, greatest people. What, why wasn't he worthy if the generation was worthy? So here's why. You ready? This is from the Gomorrah. Sennacherib swoops down, eradicates the entire northern kingdom. Remember, he was one of the greatest kings of, um, of, the, ancient, of the ancient world. And now he's ready to finish the job. And it's Pesach night. Okay, Pesach night, the 15th of Nisan, is a big miracle night for the Jewish people. That's like really like, if there's a time, remember, remember whenever there's a full moon, that means, spiritually speaking, whatever is true about that month, every month has a personality. Whatever is true about the nature of that month comes into its fullest um, realization in the full moon of that month. So Nisan is the month of miracles. So the full moon of the month of Nisan, that's, a, that's unique in the entire year. I mean, I don't, know if there's, I don't know if there's a greater day in the entire year than the full moon of the month of Nisan, right? And that is, of course, Pesach night. That's when we have our Passover Seder. That's when we left Egypt. I mean, all sorts of miracles throughout Jewish history have happened that night, including this one. So Sennacherib is ready to finish off the Jewish people. He's got his army amassed on the borders of Jerusalem. And you know what? Pesach night at midnight, the entire army is stricken with a plague and drops dead. And then here's the heartbreaking part. Chizkiyahu, who prayed for this, by the way, he prayed for this. He was very involved in trying to bring about this salvation. Of course, it's from God, but he, he didn't sing. And the Gomorrah says, because he didn't sing, Mashiach didn't come. That, that would have been it. That, that, was, that was it. That was, that was one of those moments in time. Would he been the Mashiach? If he sang? Yeah, 100%. He would have been. Yes, yes, 100%. 100%. But let's, let's just take a step backwards right now. The idea is there's a tenth song that's waiting to be sung. There's a tenth song that's waiting to be sung. And if you look through Tanakh, you'll find nine songs. There's a tenth song that's waiting to be sung that's going to harmonize, right? Everything. Right? That's going to be that big T moment. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Let's talk about David Amelech right now, King David. And you'll see, you'll see the point that I'm making, I think, in a really beautiful way. David Amelech, of course, is the messianic line. He had the soul of Mashiach. And, and the, the Messiah himself will be a direct descendant of King David. Okay, this is one of the halachas, one of the things encoded in Jewish law from the Rambam. There, there are many different things that the that if a person is legitimately the Messiah, he'll have to do. He'll have to rebuild the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. He'll have to ingather the Jews from around the world back to Israel. 
he'll have to be a you know a very great Torah scholar, a lot, lot of things, okay? But one of them is he'll have to be a direct descendant of King David. And so King David is our prototype for the messianic line. In fact, one of the beautiful things that the Magali Amukos brings it is the name Adam, who's the very first person. Adam is spelled Aleph Dalad Mem. And he says, remember, Adam contains the entire history of everyone who's ever going to live is coming from Adam, right? So he's like the DNA of not just humanity, but of human history. So what does Aleph Dalad Mem stand for? Adam himself. David, the Dalit stands for David HaMelech, and the Mem stands for Mashiach. Right? So you see it all rolling out within the DNA of the first person. From a human standpoint and from a historical standpoint. It's all right there at the, at the initial entry point of the first person. Amazing. Anyway, so David HaMelech, who's king, king, in Hebrew, we say is Malchus. Malchus is not just, Malchus is not just, okay, I, I have a ch- nice fancy chair that I sit in, and so I'm the king, right? You have to listen to me, you know, so I'm the king. No, Malchus means more than just like a, um, you know, a, 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 a form of government. Malchus represents this sphere, this dimension. Like if you want to get Kabbalistic now, we're talking in terms of, Kabbalistic vocabulary right now. You have ten spherot, okay? These are these ten, you know, energies of creation. And the one that we inhabit, the one at the bottom, this foundational one on the bottom that's waiting to get completely rectified is called malchus, right? Kingship. And 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 so David Amelech represents not just being a king of Israel but he represents the rectification of this entire dimension that we're in, the perfection of the world. And here's the point, David Melech was a musician. <laughs> in other words, this messianic quality and this idea that, that embedded in his soul on a particular level is this ability to bring closure and resolution because he's tapping into not just writing songs, he's tapping into the fabric of reality and bringing closure to creation itself. All right. And now I'll tell you something else intense, beautiful, is that when Mashiach comes, an eighth note is going to be added to the musical scale. Do you know why? I'll, ju- I'll tell you my reason why. Not just because eight is above nature and we're working with seven. And, okay, it's more than that. Because God is infinite. And so this adventure is never going to stop. <laughs> this journey <laughs> never stops. It just gets more far out and, and, and deeper and more beautiful. Right? God doesn't run out of ideas. He doesn't run out of stories. So, okay, so now let's, let's make this more personal and talk about our own lives 
and how what I'm talking about applies to our own lives. What I'm trying to tell you here is that God has structured things in such a way where this is the blueprint, or if you want to just, like, this is, this is the nature of life. There is struggle, and then there is closure. That's how it works. The struggle is not because God is just wants to give everybody a hard time. So, okay, I'll make them struggle. I'll make a world, you know what, and I'll throw in some chocolate and let them eat the chocolate if they complain too much. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not, <laughs> but I'm really doing it for the struggle. <laughs> That's not it. That's not it. The, the, the struggle is for the closure. And in fact, we talked about it. I, I, I won't go in as much depth as I did before, but if you want to look up the talk, I called it Your Questions and Answers. It was the very first question, which was about, which went into the whole reason why God created the world to begin with. And, and from the standpoint, bless you, from the standpoint of the Ramchal, which is that, we, bless you, we won't be able to appreciate, if, 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 if God just sort of like created us in heaven we would have no frame of reference to appreciate what it was and what we were being given or anything because we didn't have to work for it at all we, we, we wouldn't know what it was can you imagine if all you if the only color you saw was blue like if you saw blue and green and purple you could go oh yeah that's purple that's oh this one's lighter than that one that one's darker than that one that one I really like. That one, uh, not so much, but whatever it is. But, but you have, now you can say, now you can talk about blue, right? But imagine you only had blue. The only thing you knew was blue. You wouldn't go, blue! <laughs> You'd have nothing to hold on to to say blue! Because you don't know anything other than that thing. So, I'm making it super simple. But, but this whole world is so that we go through this and all of a sudden we get to this place of reward and we're like, whoa. And then God gives us something in, in a way that we like just appreciate is, would be the understatement of the you know, century, right? More than that. And not just appreciate, we earned it. I earned it. Right? Have you ever, like, like, have you ever sat down after you've stood for a really long time and you're like, ah, now I get the simple pleasures. <laughs> now this is like, oh, oh, yeah. What did that cost? Nothing. Well, it actually did cost something. It cost standing for hours. <laughs> But no, you didn't pay anything for that feeling when you sat down and you go, ah. <laughs> okay. So we have to work. And then, and then comes that moment where, where we're able to, where we're able to reach that place of closure where that blessing comes. And I wish, you see, this is where it gets a little messier. 
Because now we deviate from the idea of six days of the week you work and the seventh day you rest. Now it gets messier. Because how long do I have to wait? Right? When is it coming? It's too long. I'm ready to give up. I don't want to go on like this anymore. Right? It's, 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 it's not... It's, 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 it's messier. It's just messier. Well, the nice thing is we have Shabbos along the way, right? Which is a tremendous gift where we can reset and we can go, okay, you know what? I have this particular need or I have these particular needs, but you know what? Life is greater than that. You know, I, I've, I've, I haven't shared this in a while, which is my... Uh, in 30 seconds, how someone can go from falling in love with God to being incredibly angry at God. <laughs> All right, you ready? Here it is in 30 seconds. Or less. Uh, God, you made the entire world. Everything in the world is from you. I can't, you know what? I can't even lift my finger without you, God. Nothing exists without you, God. You're so great. I love you so much. God, you know something? I'm coming to you with this need because you're the only one who can address this need because you run absolutely everything. God, did you hear me? Because I'm still waiting. (laughs) I'm still waiting for that thing. What's going on, God? God, do you hate me? Why do you hate me when I love you so much? You know what? I'm doing all this for you and you're not doing anything for me? Forget it. Uh, okay that is you know how many people's story that is and let me tell you let's diagnose the problem here what where did that person go wrong that person was starting off from such a beautiful place such a holy place really I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm not making jokes what went wrong is they made the mistake of narrowing the entire relationship with God to that one need. That, 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 that's where the person went wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't have needs. And it doesn't mean that we don't even suffer. We do. But there is more going on. There's more going on than that one need or those few needs. There's more going on. And in fact, one of the things that that I've tried to kind of just has been recurring to me lately and is it hit me that as much as I know God is doing for me like whatever I'm aware of and I you know I try to be aware of you know you know the the, the good that's happening I I, I, I I try I try but all of a sudden it, it hit me not long ago that the things the number of things that God is doing for me that I'm not aware of so outstrips the number of things that I am aware of. But I, but it, it, but I realized it's not just like by a few more. If I really thought about it, it's probably like a million times more things God is doing for me that I'm not aware of and conversely not thanking him for than the things that I am aware of and I am thanking him for. 
to the point where I thought that it's appropriate for a person to do tshuva, for me to do tshuva, in other words, to try to repair my relationship for God because he's been doing so many things that I'm, I'm, I'm completely oblivious of. And I don't need to know what those things are. I, I, I probably will never be able to compre- comprehend what those things are. I mean, I'll just give you the dumbest example. Like, can you imagine, like, the way God is just guiding blood through your body, right? And maybe there is a little, I don't know, or the way God is sort of like, you know, sending bacteria to digest certain things. Maybe there was something that was difficult to digest, but God just said, "Ah, go ahead and digest. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, that could have really been bad. I don't even know what God just did there. But he just said, all right. Yeah. I mean, but, but these are like little things. Like, probably countless, right? You know, one of the, um, one of the, one of the great lines in the whole prayer book, in, in my opinion, is... Uh, it's a special prayer that we say called Nishmas Cholchai, which means the soul of everything shall bless your name. Um, one of the great poetic prayers, in my opinion, in, in all of Judaism, uh, we sing it once a week. And if you come to the happy meaning, there's a very sort of exalted melody that we do just really for this one song. Um, <coughs> but it contains, it contains this, this line. Um, that, that you know, even if I were, you know, like, really great at thanking you, I'm paraphrasing, you have to see it inside, it's beautiful. But here's the point. We could still not thank you sufficiently, Hashem our God and God of our forefathers, to bless your name, our King, for even one of the thousand, thousand, thousands of thousands and myriad, myriads of favors, miracles and wonders that you perform for us, perform for our ancestors and for us. Now, I think myriads, if I'm not mistaken, means millions. Okay? I tried to do what that calculation was, and I didn't have whatever I went to. There weren't enough digits to display what that number is. How many things God is doing for us. There, There weren't enough digits. Um, and on that subject, I had a related thought. You know, because we, 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 we wait for salvations. We wait for that T moment. We wait for that closure, for that harmonic resolution where the, where the, where the struggle evolves into celebration, right? And probably the ultimate example of that is waiting for the Mashiach, waiting for the redemption itself, okay? So, so, so one of the articles of faith in the Rambam is, is we say, anima mim, which means I, I believe with you know, perfect faith, and one of the tenets of faith is that the Messiah will come even though it's taking a long time. That's, that's the Rambam's language, right? He says it's, and this is a thousand years ago he's writing. It's taking a long time, but I believe it's coming with perfect faith. Okay, so from the human standpoint, it really is taking a long time, 
right? And I was even thinking that, you know, someone who's, say, young, right, or younger, whatever, was going, ay, when is the Mashiach coming? Please, ah, I can't take it. And you say, you know something? My friend, you're 20 years old. Relax. (laughs) You know, you haven't been waiting so long. But then I thought about it a little bit more deeply. We believe in reincarnation. I mean, inside his soul, inside her soul, could be lifetimes of waiting. Lifetimes of waiting. So, you know, a, a child could utter that cry and... Who knows where that's coming from? How deep the, the, the pain is coming from. Okay, so this is from a human perspective. Now I want to kind of give you a brand new perspective. Okay, This kind of hit me on Shabbos and it blew my mind a little bit. You know, without going into a whole lengthy discussion of the age of the universe, on the one hand, the from the Torah count, we're up to the year uh, 59 or no, 5779. That's where we're at. Okay, 5,779 years. By the way, that's counting from the sixth day of creation. Very important to know, because that's the first Rosh Hashanah, when Adam, where the first person is made. Okay? So that's, that's important, because we're not counting from the beginning, from the first day of creation. Okay? Okay, so, so if you look in the Torah, it says that the sun and the moon, God hung the, the, the sun and the moon up in, on the fourth day of creation. That means the whole concept of a 24-hour day doesn't even come into discussion. Forget about whether they were 24-hour days or not, but you can't even discuss a 24-hour day until the sun and the moon are up there, and that's on the fourth day of creation. Which brings people like the Vilna Gon, who's certainly one of the most authoritative Torah commentators in history. Everyone agrees with that. Says that the first three days of creation are billions of years long. And he's writing hundreds of years ago. Okay, so this is a authentic Torah thing, which totally is in sync with science. Not only that, but Rabbi Ari Kaplan brings from a student of the Ramban who's now writing a thousand years ago, that the world is 14 billion years old, which is more or less what science says today. This is astonishing. And he arrived at it just through Torah logic. Okay? So, so from the standpoint, now you're ready. We're waiting for the Messiah for a long time, right? Now let's shift perspectives right now and not talk about it from a human perspective. Let's just talk about it from the, the gestation of the world, just from a more kind of naturalistic standpoint. The world is 14 billion years old, approximately. And the longest we're going to wait for Mashiach to come, says the Gomorrah, is 6,000 years. So what is the percentage of 6,000 years? And that's if it comes at the very last moment to 14 billion years. (laughs) It's less than this amount of time. (laughs) Less than this. In fact, and uh, we just kind of did this on the fly, so please don't take this number uh, 
uh, to heart, but you know, I discussed it with a smart person, so hopefully it's, it's in the right range. He said, what, I, I asked him, I said, what's, 14, what's 6,000? What percentage of, of 14 billion is 6,000? And he said, point zero, 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 five. <laughs> okay, it's an approximation. Which leads me to, like, we want God to have Rachmanus on us. How long has God been waiting to bring the Messiah? <laughs> we have to have Rachmanus, we have to have mercy on God. And, and be worthy, make ourselves vessels for that light, right? Okay, so again, I want to just make it more personal and we'll start to finish up. But, but I want to give you some practical tools to, to try to live with this struggle, okay? And you see, right, so we have that moment of T, right? Which, which is that closure. That's the seventh note. That's Shabbos. Right? You have the struggle and then you have the resolution. You know, uh, they, they talk about thesis, antithesis, synthesis. It's, it's another way to think about this, right? That's Hegel. Anyway, how do you get to that? How, how do you live with the struggle? Or how do you bring closure to the struggle? How do you live day to day on the level of T? Because that's what we all want, right? That's the enlightened person. That's who we want to be. We want to be that person. How do you do it? And I'm sure there are many answers, but what I would like to suggest is the way to do it is with gratitude. That you live with thanks. You find things to thank God for. You're actually aggressive in finding things to be thankful for. Because what is, what, what is that moment? What is that moment that we're waiting for is when that thing that I want, I get. But I'm getting lots of stuff all the time. And if I can expand my consciousness and actively thank God for all those things that I'm getting all the time, then I'm actually living on the level of closure on an ongoing basis. They say that on Shabbos we get an extra soul, a neshama yesera. So people who, you know, aren't familiar with the Rashi on that, think that it's a second soul that enters us. And I don't, you know, at least according to Rashi, and and I, I agree with Rashi, you know, that that's not what's going on. What's going on is not that you get an extra soul on Shabbos. What happens is, is that the soul that you have is expanded on Shabbos so that you can integrate the spiritual and the physical 
in a much more harmonic way. Normally speaking, you have the physical and you have the spiritual, and they kind of butt up against each other, right? But Shabbos, actually, from a particular perspective, is a very pleasure-oriented day. You know, a lot of times people think of it like, I can't do this and I can't do that. But once you get past the superficial, you know, aspect of Shabbos and you discover the rhythm of it, it's actually, there's, 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 a, there's a lot to be said for Shabbos. I mean, it's like you're wearing your nicest clothes and you've, you've bathed and everyone's bathed <laughs> and everyone is looking good and the food is actually really good. And, you know, if you're married, this is a time of, you know, intimacy. You know, there's like a lot of really good things going on on Shabbos, Right. But a lot of that actually, interestingly, is very phys- of a very physical nature, right? So, so why don't I have that classic battle between the spiritual and the physical on Shabbos? And the answer is, you get an Hashem Yaseirah, this extra soul, which means what? Which means, according to Rashi, your spiritual vessel is expanded so that it can absorb the increased physicality that's coming in a harmonic way. Okay? Now, isn't it interesting that our tradition is that a Talmud Chacham, which means a Torah scholar, lives with their Neshama Yasera all week? So if you want to be on this level of closure, if you want to be on this level of T, all you have to do is become a Talmud Chacham. <laughs> okay, I'm making a joke, please. That's a very exalted level. But how do you become a Talmud Chacham? What is the step one? Is you're learning Torah on a regular basis. Because Torah itself expands your consciousness. Torah itself is that is that ever-widening, you know, energy, light, which is making you aware of all of these concepts and allows you to move forward in a beautiful way. So, so that's it. <laughs> we'll just review by saying that that we have, there, there is this order in time, right? Strictly speaking, there really is a structure to the universe, and there is this order of, in time. These magnificent sevens, right? That funny that there's a movie called The Magnificent Seven, right? A classic movie. <laughs> there are these magnificent sevens, which is, the, which is the general order. There really is an order. And it's really arranged in the most musical way because the world itself is made out of song. Shiras olive base, gracious, right? The song of the olive base. This idea that seven is not just six and one, but it's closure, and that we're waiting for this tenth song, and that we can live in song, right? By living in thanks. And Hashem should bless us that whatever resolution, whatever prayer, whatever need we've been waiting for, Hashem should bless us with it fast and that we should be able to sing that 10th song together soon.